Hello and welcome to ITIC Insight, the podcast which shares loss prevention advice from ITIC, the world's leading provider of professional indemnity insurance for transport professionals everywhere. Thank you very much uh, to everyone in the audience today listening. This is uh, ITIC's podcast, which is a follow-on from our webinar earlier this year called the Cyber Collider, uh, which focuses on IMO 2021. And from our delegates panel we had at the uh, webinar, I'm kindly joined by Julian Clark, who is the global head of INTS, who will be giving us his uh, his thoughts on IMO 2021 and its impacts on shipping and, and the managers in particular. We will be giving a, a brief overview of what we mean by our IMO 2021, what is required of the managers for compliance, and then since we recorded the webinar, there's been a recent decision by the Supreme Court on the CMA CGM Libra, and the decision from that will have an impact on, on, on how far managers and owners will need to go on their due diligence of cybersecurity on board vessels. Anyway, thank you very much, Julian. Uh, welcome on our podcast, and, and thanks very much for joining us previously on the Cyber Collider webinar. It's very kind for you to take your time to uh, assist us on this. Thanks, Robert. Absolutely. Okay. So, firstly, IMO 2021, it's a, an undefined term. What, what do we mean by IMO 2021, Julian? Okay. So, MSC 4898 was issued on the 16th of June 2017 and required compliance uh, from the 1st of January 2021 and no later than the first annual verification of the document of compliance after that date. So that was the amendment to SOLAS that came in that required cyber resilience and compliance. And what was required? Well, it was an assessment that cyber risks are addressed in the safety management system. And there was guidance on what that meant set out in MSC FAL 1, circular number three, and then a series of guidelines from BIMCO, CLEAR, International Chamber of Shipping into Cargo, OCINF, Ayumi, NAST in the UST and in the USA, sorry, and NIS in the UK. And what it was really saying was that all vessels after that uh, annual verification of the DOC uh, must take into account cyber risk and cyber protocols within their safety management system. Despite the clarity, if, if you want, want to call it that, from the various guidance given by all those bodies, it is still a bit of a minefield as to what you actually need to do, what your obligations are. Uh, and a lot of that is because it's been left to port state control to enforce, if you like, the the requirements under MSC 42898. And we're still seeing a pattern develop of how different port state controls are reacting to that. US Coast Guard have taken a very extreme view and have even held vessels outside port limits where they think there may be a cyber issue or a lack of compliance. And I think what we're seeing is inspectors, as they often do, are reacting to what they see. So if they come on board a vessel and they see a lifeboat that they think certificate looks out of date or they see a rusty ladder, then they'll take a closer inspection. I think what you can look for now is if an inspector gets on board and notes there's no USB policy, there's passwords stuck on stickers on the ECDIS, that's liable to lead to them making further inquiries as to whether or not there is proper guidance in the safety management system, whether there's been proper training, 
whether proper drills are carried out, etc., etc. And the exposure potentially is detention of the vessel until it's rectified, fines, and obviously that could lead to off hire. And so it, the burden is growing. And as you said earlier, Robert, the decision of the Supreme Court in the CMA, CGM, Libra, I think puts a higher focus on this. Thank you. So just to unpack some of that a little bit further. So one, one of the questions I had in a previous webinar was one of the audience queried, well, this IMO 2021 amendment hasn't been ratified by countries and uh, therefore it's not enforced. And I mean, that is actually an incorrect view because it doesn't need ratification because this is an amendment to SOLAS. So it is in force and it has to be acted upon now. Otherwise, you'll be in uh, non-compliance uh, of IMO 2021. Absolutely correct. So it, it is there, it is being enforced and it is being looked at. So and now pretty much I would have thought every vessel we will have got to the position where there has been the first annual verification of the DOC. And so every vessel should now be compliant with MSC 4298. Yes, and it's not just an owner's responsibility. If the manager as the DOC holder, that responsibility has been delegated to the manager and therefore it's part of their management services to to carry out cyber risk management on 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 the vessel and or the the many vessels within the fleet so it is no mean task to 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 do so because i presume that you're not talking about a risk management uh, which can be used across many different vessel types and uh, uh, the whole fleet it has to be bespoke to the vessel and its trading patterns and the technology on board so it must be a huge task these managers and, and owners are facing very much so. I mean, there will be some common guidance that you could adopt. Having said, having a USB policy that uh, crew members aren't to bring their own USBs on board, uh, must, mustn't plug their private USBs into the ECDIS or any ship systems. So general guidance for things like that, drills could be done across the fleet. But you are going to have to look at bespoke systems for, as you say, vessels in particular trades, particular types of vessels, vessels with different types of systems on board. And again, I think one of the issues, because it's this is all very new, is you know we, we know what we need to do in relation to ensuring that a hatch cover is watertight and uh, its integrity is sound. With cyber, it's far wider. And how far does the duty go? Is it good enough to say, well, we we bought this system from a reputable operator, and you know we were told that it it was air gapped and it's it's cyber secure? Do you have to go further? And how far do you need to go? Do you have to start looking at every line of code within the system? I think that's probably going too far. But I think like with all, with all these things, an overcautious approach is probably the safest policy. Well, I guess on how far the manager and or owner would go is, is part of the decision on the Libra. So I think maybe if you give us an overview of what that case was on which i believe was was passage planning it was so what what you had there was a vessel that grounded when she went outside the fairway the passage planning was uh, argued to be inadequate and the issue before the court first instance up to the court of appeal up to the supreme court was whether or not a vessel could be unseaworthy due to lack of adequate passage plan it's never been before the courts before but all three courts unanimously decided all the way up that a defective passage plan could indeed render a vessel unseaworthiness. Oh, sorry, could render a vessel unseaworthy. Now, a couple of things about the decision. First of all, 
it's a really good judgment of Hamblin because it, it does a really good summary of the whole lore around seaworthy, unseaworthiness. So it's one of those essential readings that you want on your desk or on your shelf because it summarises all the lore in relation to unseaworthiness. And the decision is, despite it went to the Supreme Court, probably not that surprising. It's very logical development of the law in the area. And importantly, it's very much a decision that turns on its facts. Now, the reason I say that is because in cross-examination, the master accepted that had he marked a warning that deaths showed on the chart outside the fairway were unreliable, he said that had he done that on the passage plan, then he wouldn't have taken the course that he did and he wouldn't have gone outside the fairway. And that was a very important part of the decision. So it's made this link between unseaworthiness uh, and causation. But what the case did do, there was an argument that seaworthiness only applied where it affected an attribute of the ship. And so a passage plan wasn't an attribute of the ship, therefore that couldn't render a, a vessel unseaworthy. That argument totally rejected. And this is where it becomes important for cyber. At Supreme Court said that seaworthiness goes to a wide scope of issues, including passage planning, training, competency of crew, and dangerous cargo even. And there's been some clarity in the decision. There was a conflicting view on English law about seaworthiness and dangerous goods. One view in a case called the Capitan Shakarov, the other in a case called the Apostolis. And the Supreme Court have effectively said the Capitan Shakarov is the right way to go. So causation is the key. And where that is the case, where a, an act of unseaworthiness or a defective passage plan is causative of an incident, then the Article 4 Rule 2 defences will not apply because there will have been a breach of the Article 3.1 obligation, which of course is a non-delegable duty, and that was reinforced. What does that therefore mean in the context of cyber? Well, it makes it quite clear that a defective cyber protection system or the, the failure to have a proper cyber regime as required by MSC 4298 could potentially render a vessel unseaworthy if that is then causative. Causation remains the important part. But it has put a spotlight, as far as I'm concerned, on the need to ensure cyber compliance. And I think it goes further than that. I think it goes as far as the need to have cyber drills in place. I was speaking at a conference a couple of weeks ago and I I gave this analogy of a cross-examination. Imagine a situation where there's been an incident it's as the result of the cyber breach, and it's because the crew just did not know what to do. And in cross-examination, the master is asked by counsel, you know, master, do you have regular drills for fire? The answer is yes. And master, do you regularly, are the crew instructed on the procedures for entry into enclosed spaces and the dangers in relation to entry into enclosed spaces? Yes. And then you go on and say, well, master, that's important, isn't it? Because that goes to the safety and seaworthiness of the ship and compliance with SOLAS. Yes. Master, what drills do you have in place for cyber security? Now, in that situation, the master says, well, we don't really. Real problem. Now, because what the Supreme Court has said with that wide scope of issues is that you can't separate out and say, well, hold on, this is this was a drill. It, it's not a hatch cover. It's not, it's not a lifeboat certificate. You know, seaworthiness goes a lot further than that. So if you have basically meant that everything that you have in place as a safety regime sets your, your seaworthiness 
target line, your, min your minimum status of compliance. And if you then have other issues or other systems that aren't in line with those, I think there's a, there's a gap. And you can see that being exploited by cargo interests and you know, refusal to contribute into general average and, and all the, the myriad of problems that can flow with that. Yes, I mean, and tra training, you mentioned uh, one, one of the points on the deliberate decision was uh, training, and that is a key element for cyber risk management. And uh, I guess, for example, you could consider um, a crew member clicking on a link on an email, which then downloads some uh, virus on, on, onto, the, onto the navigation system. And then, you, you know, you, you look back and so there's, there's been no training on, uh, to the crew on how to have uh, adequate, um, you know, not clicking on links, etc. Therefore, you know, if, if the navigation system is uh, corrupted and there's a collision, then that would clearly be unseaworthy because there's been no training in place for the, you know, the actual causation of clicking on that link in the first place. So, yeah. Absolutely, Robert. I mean, what the court did was it reinforced that the test for unseaworthiness is this thing that's referred to as the prudent owner test, which is, uh, would a prudent owner have let his vessel proceed had he known or should he have known of the defect? Now, that's judged at the state of knowledge at the time. Could today an owner, using your example, uh, a cruise, use the USB stick or they've clicked on the wrong link? because they haven't had training and that's then led to an incident. Could an owner say, well, you know, I, I didn't realise this was a risk. You know, I, I couldn't have known. It's a new piece of code that was in the USB stick. I couldn't have possibly known that that code existed. That's not going to cut the mustard anymore because there's such a, despite the fact we haven't seen a major collision or casualty yet, which has been pinpointed on cyber, I don't think you could say hand on heart anymore and escape the prudent owner test by saying, I wasn't aware of the risk. You look at CMA, CGM being attacked twice now with cyber. Maersk, of course, the big famous one we all know about, the NotPetya not attack that they got caught up in. And then you look at some of the other things like the Colonial Pipeline attack in the US. And only last week, Vesta having a data, data breach on their offshore wind systems. Nobody can, nobody can deny that cyber is a risk today. And I think... If you think that you'll be able to say, well, yes, but there hasn't been a collision, therefore I didn't think that this was a risk, you're going to be a very brave person to run that argument in court and hope to protect yourself. And not only does it go to see where this, I think this then goes on to right to limit. If you look at Article 4 of the Limitation Convention, a person shall not be entitled to limit if it's proved that the loss resulted from his personal act or omission committed with intent. Well, okay, not intent. Uh, to cause such loss or recklessly uh, with knowledge that such loss would probably result. So an omission, we don't have any cyber drills. We just haven't bothered. We haven't put a proper policy in place for cyber. Can I say that you have knowledge that that would result or that you've been reckless? Yes. I think with the state of knowledge and risk that we have at the moment on cyber, you'd have a very good chance of breaking right to limit. Wow, that's uh, that's um, the nuclear option. That's pretty. Uh, that's that's uh, huge. So that's that's interesting. And uh, so on on the cover in place for the managers. So obviously, ITIC is ensuring errors and omissions of the manager. And clearly, manager who has agreed to provide cyber risk management uh, on the ship and fails to put adequate risk management in place, and there's a loss. Potentially, there there's a claim from the owner against the manager. So the protection the manager has is being a full co-assured under P&I and Hull, which notwithstanding you know the cyber exclusions, whether it could be covered or not, 
there is potentially covered there. But um, in in the example you gave, where a vessel was detained because it's you know, by port state control, those um, of higher costs and detention costs would unlikely be insured by another insurer and the owner's only route would be to bring a claim in negligence uh, against the uh, the manager which ITIC has uh, agreed with our reinsurers that uh, the usual market cyber exclusion doesn't apply to managers providing cyber risk management to an owner uh, and they suffer a loss a cyber loss to negligence where if you have a strict reading of the uh, the exclusions it potentially would uh, other pi insurers in the market don't have that provision as we, as we know but i guess we've discussed um the duties of the manager the the case of libra but um, i guess we we could also touch and it, and it's a, it's a whole topic on itself but uh, the, the the cyber exclusions in in the hull and the uh, the pni cover so it, if if on on a, from my understanding on a strict reading of those market exclusions it is is a it's a pure exclusion with no real options for silent cover is that is that what your understanding of the the usual market exclusions yeah very much so i mean the market has been hardening considerably because from an actuarial point point of view, this is a real significant risk. We're seeing a huge increase in the number of cyber attacks and, and attempted acts. And I, I often talk about this thing about the, the iceberg. I think what we see, what we hear about is very much the tip of the iceberg. What's far more frightening is what's under the waterline, and that's the unreported attacks. Uh, people that don't want to say we've been hit because they don't want to suffer reputational damage. And then the, the failed attempts, the ones that haven't got through yet. But the underwriting market is seeing that, and that's why they've moved to restrict cover. Yes, there's some specialist providers out there, but whether or not the limits currently in place are adequate uh, to cover for the loss. And then although PNI at the moment is saying, look, there is no, the PNI haven't, a lot of PNI clubs haven't adopted uh, the exclusion, so they're saying uh, an incident brought about by a cyber risk will still be covered. In, in the kind of scenarios we've been talking about, there's been a failure to comply with uh, the new regulation. There's there's been a half you know uh, half effort to really ensure that uh, cyber security is treated the same as integrity of hatch covers, as fire drills, as anti-collision drills, etc. I think there's a real potential that you'll see a club or an underwriter uh, seeking to exclude club cover on the basis of a breach of an international convention or a flag state requirement. And also whether that would fall within the imprudent hazardous trading exclusion. So you, you go to see you've got no real cyber procedures in place or you haven't taken it seriously. Is that imprudent hazardous trading? As you say, what that will then do is leave an owner looking to seek recovery from the manager by saying, look, we, we delegated this duty to you. It's in our management contract with you. You failed to do it. We're now exposed to warfare to irrecoverable uninsured losses and we're looking for you to recover that loss and that exposure so it makes the managers cover really important yeah i agree and uh, to date uh, touch we have not seen any such claims yet but um it's i think as we all agree it's inevitable that uh, these claims will flow down eventually and and, and itic is there to um protect the managers so i i feel that is um a good Brief overview of the current situation with Libra and a refresher on IMO 2021. Do you, do you have anything you want to add, Julian? INTS is uh, offering uh, uh, services to clients for contractual reviews, I believe, and and and, and risk management on the on the vessels. Yeah, thanks, Robert. I mean, one thing that I think one of the challenges that the industry faces is 
you know, where do you start with this? And, you know, do you go to a cyber consultant? Do you go to a technological provider? Do you go to a lawyer? What we've tried to do under the Inst Maritime product that we offer is to create a one-stop shop where not only are we there to give the legal advice and be there to do a full instant response service, uh, but we can do a consultancy advice. We can take you through the various guidelines and questionnaires. We can check if you're compliant. Uh, we can prepare drills. We can even get involved in running cyber drills for you. So, and I'm sure other law firms will follow that way. I think that the role of law firms it more and more now needs to be focused on loss prevention in the way that the clubs and the underwriters have done loss prevention uh, for years. You know, we should be there to avoid claims and it should be the last option that we actually have to react to deal with a litigation. It's far better if we can be proactive by s- supplying solutions. Absolutely. Yep. Loss prevention is key. Thank you very much, Julian. It's been uh, great that you could be able to attend another of our uh, uh, events and I'm sure the audience will uh, hope you'll be joining us on, on, on further events as well. Thank you very much. And if anybody the uh, who's listening today would want like further information, we've got a whole... Um, wealth of um, loss prevention advice on the ITIC website, claims examples, and we could also be uh, contacted directly. Anyway, thank you very much. Uh, thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Thanks, Robert. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to ITIC Insight. We hope you found this edition interesting and informative. To ensure you never miss an episode, follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and wherever you get your podcasts.